Well, as most of you know, as part of our uh, time away uh, the past couple of weeks, our whole family had the opportunity to attend this Worship God conference uh, in Louisville uh, that Blake and uh, Billy have told you about, I'm sure, last week, and uh, it was a joy to be there with them and along with some other members of our church's music team. And for me, it was the highlight of our time away, um, enjoyed catching up with Old friends in Nashville, went to Byron Yon's church, remember him? Got to go to his church and see some old friends there and got to take a couple of nights in the Smoky Mountains with our family. That was a joy. But uh, really the highlight for, for me personally was this conference. And uh, we weren't going for me. We were going really for Kelly and Zach and Hannah who have such a love for worship and an involvement and giftedness in that area. And Jacob and I were meant to be the tagalongs, right? And... Uh, and, uh, but uh, all we were going to do is go to the Louisville Slugger Museum and eat fried chicken. But uh, we got caught up in it too, didn't we, bud? It was a pretty amazing uh, conference. And particularly what was such a blessing to me was just watching Kelly and Zach and, and, and Hannah connect with each other uh, in an area of giftedness that they all share in common. And it just blessed my heart as a, as a husband, as a father, watching them worship the Lord together and, and being better equipped to serve him in uh, the, the area of music that the Lord's gifted them in. And for me, it was a, a perfect conference to go to on vacation because it was very relaxed, it was very informal, um, and it was out of my sphere of influence, and so I didn't know anyone and nobody knew me, and so I could just fly under the radar with my t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops, and it was great. And uh, a very relaxing time. But even though the conference was, was, was relaxing, um, for me, because it was really more geared towards worship leaders than it was to pastors, per se, uh, I was personally impacted by the experience. And uh, I want to talk about that this morning with you. Uh, first and foremost, I was completely humbled and convicted by how passionate and joyful these per- people were in singing about what God had done for them through Christ. I mean, I was looking around going, man, I, I feel like I'm JV here. I mean, when it comes to loving Jesus, I mean, this is, wow. These people are passionate about the, 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 the work of Christ and the gospel. There was a genuine gratefulness and gladness for the gospel, uh, the good news of salvation in Christ. And uh, I've been around few people in my entire life in ministry who have been as excited, as amazed as caught up in, in wonder and, and awe and praise for their salvation in Christ. And I think they were a good example of what we've been learning in the Gospel of John, and particularly John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, about how we should worship God in what? Spirit and in truth, not just with our heads, right, but with our hearts, not just with our hearts, but also with our, our heads. And, and so here I was exposed really for the first time to people who weren't just emoting to be getting those environments. Everybody's raising their hands and clapping and hooping and hollering, and, right? And, and it's just kind of weird you out because, you know, it's like, what's getting these people all excited? And you know it's not rooted and based in biblical truth. But these people were not only emoting, but they were contemplating biblical truth while they were emoting which is a rare combination. Their, their fervency was based on, on and flowed out of sound theology. And it was like the, you ready for this? 
It was like the best elements of the charismatic church wed together with the best elements of the Bible church. I mean, it was a freaky combination. It really was. And it was a truly unique environment that, that was a bit outside my comfort zone, to be honest, but thoroughly refreshing and deeply moving. In fact, I had a hard time not being drawn to the main worship leader who was there, Bob Coughlin, who is the one who uh, puts on this conference and leads this conference, and he's trained up uh, countless worship leaders in his day. Uh, he's probably in his, uh, I would say, late 50s, early 60s. Don't quote me on that. But, uh, but here's a gray-haired man uh, who is just passionate for the gospel. He's passionate for Christ. And, 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 and here, here he, he, and I just kept you know, looking over, and man, he was just into it. I mean, he was just passionate about what he was singing about and the words that were being put up on the screen. And, 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 and one time I looked over and he was gone and I was like, where did he go? And so I peeked around the edge of the, the front row and there he was on his knees bowing down on his face before the Lord <laughs> during the song. And, and uh, you know, and, uh, that normally would just weird me out. But it seemed so appropriate. And so becoming of him, uh, just a completely natural expression of someone who has never got over what God has accomplished in his life. And I'm thinking, what's up with me? Have I gotten over it? Why am I not as passionate for the gospel as this guy? Same thing happened to me as happened to him through the gospel why does he seem more grateful and more glad about it than me? So that was the first impression I walked away with. Secondly, the conference reminded me that while I may not be gifted musically, you're never going to hear me play an instrument or sing a song up here, even though Kelly has tried to get me to sing with her, and she did it once um, by surprise, and I had no choice but to get up there and sing a duet, and it was the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. <laughs> And I promised her, I made her promise me that she would never, ever do that again. And she's a faithful wife, so she will keep her promise, won't she, dear? Thank you. But even though I'm not gifted musically, as a pastor, I, along with the other pastors and elders of this church, are responsible for what goes on in the music ministry and we must wisely and pro proactively lead the music ministry. Uh, for example, years ago when we first started Lakeside, there were some who were advocating the need for excellence in our music ministry, and so therefore we should go outside the church. We didn't have anybody in the church at the time. We should go outside the church and, and find some, some musician, some vocalist uh, who, who could come and lead us in, 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 in worship, and in these people's minds, it didn't even matter if the person was a Christian. I was like, are you kidding me? You don't get it, right? This is not what we're looking for. It's not about the excellence of the musicians or the excellence of, of the vocalists. It's, it's about Christ, and how can you lead worship to Christ if, you don't, if you're not in Christ? And so, again, there was some leadership that we exercised during those times and shepherded those people through that, but, again, it's our responsibility. And so, 
as a pastor, nothing except for the ministry of the word plays a more significant role in the growing and the maturing of the body of believers that, that God has entrusted to our care than the ministry of music. In fact, we're going to see in a moment that, that I don't know that you can even separate the ministry of music from the ministry of the word. That they're one and the same. Maybe the best way to see it is that music fits under the ministry of the word. It's a part of the ministry of the word. It doesn't stand apart from the ministry of the word. It's, it, you can't separate the two. God designed music for more than just preparing people's hearts to hear the preaching and teaching of his word. I think maybe a lot of us come to church with that impression that, that all this singing stuff is just to get us ready for the most important thing, which is the preaching, and we would agree, right, with the priority of, of, of the word preached. But I believe that God designed music not just to prepare people to hear the word preached, but to actually teach the word in the process of preparing them to hear the word preached. In other words, the moment that we sing the very first word, like I said already, of that first song, whenever we gather for worship, the word begins to accomplish its word in our hearts. You don't have to wait to the sermon to have the word conforming you more to the image of Christ. See, songs and sermons, not just sermons, but songs too, are both God-ordained means to train and equip us to live well, to suffer well, and to die well. I think you would agree with me that the sermons that we hear, right, that we listen to, train and equip us to, to live well, to suffer well, and to die well. Would you not agree with that? But so do the songs we sing. I still have images in my mind of, of, of Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights where I've maybe been in the back where I had a better view of what was going on during the, the music time, during the singing time. And I've watched members of our church who were going through horrific suffering, seasons of suffering in their life, sing songs that helped them suffer well. And they struggled through those songs. And they wept as they sang the words of those songs. But they were ministering to them. And, they, and, and in some cases, they, they even had to force themselves to sing those songs because they were true. Even though they didn't feel what was being said up there, it, it was true. But I watched them, I watched how music, how God used songs to, to help people suffer well. And so really, singing and, and preaching serve as this dynamic duo in the spiritual formation of God's people. It's, it's worship and the word. And that's why the time that we allot for singing in our services is, is second only to the time that we allot for preaching. And typically, the, the singing serves the preaching, right? But this morning, it's my desire that the preaching serve the singing. I want to preach about singing. I, I want this sermon to be about songs. Singing songs prepares people for hearing sermons, but this sermon is designed to prepare people for, sing, for singing songs. And Blake's right. We probably should have done this first and sang afterwards. But Lord willing, we're going to be singing, right, for as long as 
we're here as a church until Jesus comes back, and so we'll have lots of, of an opportunity to, to apply this message. But when you think about it, it, this should be the result of every sermon. In other words, every sermon should prepare us to sing better. The deeper we go in the Word, the higher we will go in worship. Worship is simply an overflow of our understanding of what the Bible teaches about who God is and what He's done for us in Christ. I wrote down a little definition of worship while I was at the conference, and it goes like this. Worship is our response to what we have received from God in Christ. That's all it is. When we sing, what are we doing? We're responding to what we've received from God through Christ. And so the duty of the preacher is to teach people about God and his great gospel, and out of that knowledge will flow sincere worship. And so biblical preaching should help people truly worship God. Ideally, the better the preaching, the better the singing should be. And so I would just say that we have a great opportunity to excel still more in our singing because I don't think we lack for good preaching. And I'm not talking about myself, for example, but just that we have been blessed by the ministry of the Word in this church, have we not? And so we of all people, more so than most people, who are attending churches around the area, we should be the most passionate, joyful worshipers. John Stott, in his classic book, Between Two Worlds, talking about the role of preaching in the church, but notice he combines it with the ministry of worship. He says, the word in worship belong to each other. All worship is an intelligent and loving response to the revelation of God. Therefore, acceptable worship is impossible without preaching. For preaching is making known the name of the Lord, and worship is praising the name of the Lord made known. In other words, the more you learn about God, the more you're going to want to sing about him. The more you learn about the gospel, the more you're going to want to sing about it. The two cannot be divorced. Indeed, it is their unnatural divorce, which accounts for the low level of so much contemporary worship. Our worship is poor because our knowledge of God is poor, and our knowledge of God is poor because our preaching is poor. But when the word of God is expounded in all its fullness, and the congregation begins to glimpse the glory of the living God, they bow down in solemn awe and joyful wonder before his throne. And if solemn awe and joyful wonder don't characterize us when we sing together, then there's a huge disconnect going on somewhere. Because it's not for a lack of the proclamation of the word of God and the power of the spirit of God. We got that part. And it may be that if there's not a solemn awe and a joyful wonder that characterizes your heart and and life when you sing or have an opportunity to sing, it may be, number one, that you're not truly saved. Fair? It may be that you're not truly saved. We always have to go there first, right? Examine our hearts to, to be sure that we're in the faith, right? But more likely, in a group of people like this, I would say it may be that you've gotten over the gospel. You've gotten over your salvation. You've lost a sense of awe and wonder 
about what you've received from God in Christ. The, the good news no longer makes your heart glad. Have you ever asked yourself why we sing? Why do we sing so much around here? I'd just rather just come and listen to the preaching. I, I, could, do, I could just do without the singing. I'd be fine. Why do we sing so much around here? And have you ever analyzed how we sing, how you sing personally, how we sing as a church? I walked away from the Worship God conference last week asking myself those two questions. Why do we, why do we sing? Why do we sing? And analyzing how I sing and how our church sings. And my conclusion is this. We sing because God saved us. And he put a song in our heart, as the scripture says. We've been saved to sing. And how we sing, I think, is an indication of how grateful we are that God saved us from our sin and from death and hell and how great we think the gospel is. I mean, be honest. If an unbeliever walked in here this morning, and by the way, they did, there are unbelievers sitting here this morning, and maybe our children, right? But if an unbeliever walked in here this morning and watched us sing, would they get a sense of the greatness of the gospel by our gladness for the gospel? See, our gladness for the gospel shows the greatness of the gospel. And if we're not that glad about the good news of salvation, then why would anybody else think it's that great? That they're missing out on anything. And some of you might be thinking, well, come on, Ken, I'm, I'm not that expressive of a person. That's just not my personality. Well, that may be true, but how do you respond when your favorite baseball player hits the walk-off home run? Just asking the question. Or when your favorite football team scores the winning touchdown or your favorite basketball team wins in the last seconds of double overtime. I would imagine some of you are off the couch, right? Up on the coffee table, screaming and yelling. And it's interesting. How, how do you expect your, that makes you glad, right? That makes you glad when that guy cranks it out of the park or they, they score that winning touchdown or the, the buzzer shot goes swish. and It makes you glad. How do you express that gladness? And I think it's interesting that people who are typically quiet and mild-mannered, right, you go to a, a sporting event with them and they're like a totally different person. Have you ever been around something like you're sitting there next to this mild-mannered person and all of a sudden something happens and they're just screaming and you're like, whoa, who are you? I've never heard that come out of your mouth before. I could have never imagined that coming from you. They're, they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs, they're jumping up and down, they're, they're waving their hands, but when they come to church, you can barely hear them sing. And they stand there motionlessly mumbling the words without any emotion. I mean, what's wrong with this picture, people? Are we really more excited about sports than we are about salvation? When we come together as a church for corporate worship, we're coming into the presence of God and we need to rise to the occasion. We're coming into the presence of the King. 
And it doesn't mean that we have to raise our hands and jump up and down and fall on our face and, 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 and do all these things. I'm not necessarily saying, hey, let's just go there, you know? And okay, everybody raise your hands. Let's show you how to do it. We're going to teach you how to raise your hands and we're going to teach you how to, you know, jump with the beat. And, and no, that's not where we're going with this. But, but our hearts should rise to the occasion. We, we, should, we should at least lift the rafters with our singing. Even if we are the frozen chosen, right, to stand there like this. Man, our, we better be singing loud. Right? I mean, no one should ever be able to mistake our worship service for a funeral service. You know, what is going on here, man? This place is dead. When we gather to celebrate who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, there should be this glad, joyful spirit of celebration. And what I want to do this morning, just very quickly, is, is, is just show you in the scriptures, just by surveying quickly the Old and New Testament. You're like, oh, great, the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament. Okay, we're, it was going to be tight, but we're going to do it, okay? <laughs> I want to show you what the scriptures say about why we should sing and how we should sing, which is one of the clearest indications, again, of how grateful we are for what God has done for us in Christ and how glad we are for the gospel. And so just, just looking big picture at the Old Testament, start with the Old Testament. And, and by the way, I've got all this written down on the, the, the note sheet in the back. If you missed it, come in and you grab it on the way out, so don't try to necessarily write this all down. It's already there. But, but basically, I, I guess you could summarize the Old Testament with this, that the nation of Israel sang in response to being saved and rescued and delivered by God from all sorts of situations and nations, right? I mean, they got themselves in all sorts of trouble, and God always got them out. And as a result, they would what? They would sing. And so, for example, in, 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 you, we see this starting off right after the, the, the Israelites were delivered and rescued uh, out of Egypt uh, by Moses. And in Exodus chapter 15, they just passed through the Red Sea and were hightailing it out of there. And as soon as the last Israelite sandal came out of the Red Sea, the waters came back with all their fury and destroyed Pharaoh and all of his army. And the very first thing they do is they sing. In Exodus 15, 1, then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength in song, and he has become my what? Salvation. They were singing about salvation. Miriam got into the act, Moses' sister, in verse 20. It says, Miriam the prophetess, oh, excuse me, Aaron's sister, uh, took the timbrel, and they, that was, of course, they were all brothers and sisters, right? They took the timbrel in their hand, and all the women went out after with timbrels, tambourines, and with dancing. Miriam answered, sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. So they were singing and dancing and celebrating God's goodness and saving them. We see this in the, uh, continued on, this whole same attitude or pattern in, in the book of Judges. And you know the book of Judges was a, 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 a horrific time in the history of Israel where they were all doing what was right in their own eyes. And so God would bring the enemies, the Canaanites, to, to overpower them. And they would uh, cry out to him for deliverance. And God would raise up a deliverer, a judge. And uh, at one point, there was no men around. Uh, and so he chose a woman named Deborah. 
who came alongside Barak, the son of Abin, him sang. And notice, this is after the Canaanites had overtaken the Israelites, and, uh, and then they drove them back, and they killed the king. This is Judges chapter 5, verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abino, sang on that day, saying that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord, hero kings, give ear, O rulers, I to the Lord, I will sing, I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so they were praising and thanking God for his deliverance. And then, of course, you've got David, right? We, we all know about David. You knew this was coming. In 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 22, this is at the end of his life. 2 Samuel chapter 22, basically the last thing that comes out of his mouth is a song. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, and whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my, what? Salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my, what? Savior, you save me from violence. The end of that song goes like this in verse 50. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He's a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his own to David and his descendants forever. And, and David wasn't um, content to let the singing become just from him. Uh, in fact, he commanded it. He instituted singing as part of the temple, or excuse me, the worship of God in the tab- both the tabernacle and the temple, in, in First Chronicles chapter six, verse thirty-one, it says, "Now these are those whom David appointed over the service of song in the house of the Lord, and the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon had built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they served in their office according to their order." So he appointed men like Asaph and Hena um, to be the worship leaders of Israel. Chapter 16, I love this, chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and second to him, Zechariah, and he lists their, their names with musical instruments, harps, lyres. Also, Asaph played loud-sounding cymbals. He maybe was a drummer. Who knows what, right? And, and Benaiah and Jezel, the priest, blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord and check out what they sing. Verse 8, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the nations. Sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, son of Jacob, his chosen ones. Listen, we, we understand by God's grace the doctrine of election, don't we? Not fully. We know we can't fully understand it, but we, we know about it. And we've submitted our minds and hearts to it. Listen, the fact that we understand we've been chosen by God for salvation out of all the rest of the humanity, man, we got something to sing about. So for those that think, well, you know, Calvinists are going to be the, 
you know, the most stoic, you know, sit there and or whatever when it comes to singing. No, we should be the ones singing louder than anybody. Right? Verse 23, sing to the Lord all the earth, proclaim good tidings of his, what? Salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. And then notice this, verse 33, then the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord. Listen, it's not just people that are singing, it's, it's inanimate objects. It's God's creation, right? The trees and the hills, talking about them singing, the rocks crying out, right? Listen, you don't want to be outdone by a rock, okay, or a tree. That would be embarrassing. But look at, why do the trees of the forest sing for joy? For he is coming to judge the earth. We sang about that in, the, in that song, Holy, didn't we? Do you realize that's part of the gospel message? Not just that Jesus came, but he's coming again. That's something to sing about. And so we see the Levites, the role of the Levites as as musicians, as singers in the Old Testament. And of course, the Psalms are just rich. And, And I honestly went, as I prepared for this, went through every verse in the Psalms that mentions the word song, sing, sang, singing. I just wanted to see. Well, you know it's there, right? You know, you're familiar with the Psalms enough to know there's a lot about singing. In fact, it was the hymn book of the nation of Israel. So it's really, a, it's, a, it's a hymnal. It's, a, it's all about singing and worshiping and praising the Lord. And so I, I wrote all those verses down, by the way, and I'm not going to, we don't have time to go through them, but just let me just highlight a few of them that, that bring us this connection between singing and, and, and our salvation, okay? Look at Psalm 13. Psalm 13 Verses 5 and 6. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Chapter 18, Psalm 18, verse 46. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will give, sing praises to your name. He gives great deliverance to his king. Psalm 30, verse 2. Psalm 30, verse 2. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. Obviously, he was talking about God had spared his life physically, right? That's what the, the psalmist was talking, David was talking about. But I think we can liken that to the fact that we didn't go to hell. He spared us from death and hell. Chapter, excuse me, chapter 30, still there, verse 10. Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Psalm 40, verses one through three. Psalm 40, verse one. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction. Out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth and a song of praise to our God. 
then how about Psalm 51? You gotta love this. This is David's deliverance from what he deserved, right? He deserved death because he committed adultery and he also committed murder. And notice in Psalm 51, as part of his confession to the Lord, in, in verse 14, he said, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my, what? Salvation, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. I mean, if you have been delivered from your guilt because of your sin by the God of your salvation, your tongue should joyfully sing of his righteousness. And it may be that if it's not, right, you need to pray this prayer, right? Oh, Lord, open my lips. There's a disconnect. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, right? And we could go on and on, but we don't have time. But I would encourage you to grab a sheet in the back as you leave and look through these verses like I had the opportunity and privilege of doing. And the one thing that came out to me more than anything else that verse after 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 verse in the Psalms, it talks about joy and gladness. The word glad is everywhere. That was convicting to me. Because I thought, how, how do I come across? Do, do I come across to people as somebody who's glad? I mean, truly glad about the gospel, rejoicing in my salvation? The scripture commends that, and not only commends it, it commands it. It's not like some people are going to be joyful and some aren't. No. If you're not joyful, if you're not glad, it's sin. Because we're commanded to be joyful and glad. And so I would just commend to you what John Piper says. Listen, if, if you don't sense a gladness and a joy in your heart then confess that as sin. Just say, Lord, I, I, my, my affections don't match the realities of, of who I am in Christ. Would you please forgive me and grant me that joy? Grant me affections that, that match up with, with what, the work you've done in my life. Pray about it. Talk to the Lord about it. Be honest with him about it. And I think that's the prayer God will answer, don't you? He wants us to be glad about the gospel because it again it exalts the greatness of the gospel that's the old testament the new testament's a lot shorter it's interesting not a whole lot of references to singing in the new testament jesus sang with his disciples the night before he or the night he was betrayed sang a hymn and went out into the, the garden paul and silas sang in the philippian jail right uh, joy joyful in their suffering uh, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, we're supposed to sing with spirit and the mind, not just emotionally, but biblically. Um, James told us to sing praise if we're cheerful, James 5.13. Heaven is filled with singing. I don't need to show you those verses, but in Revelation 5 and Revelation 15, talking about uh, there's a whole lot of singing going on in heaven right now, already, and there will be for all eternity. That's just the way it's going to be. But the two, I think, most important verses for us today in the here and now uh, about singing in the New Testament would have to be Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like when you're filled with the Spirit? You speak to one another in what? Psalms, 
and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. And Paul repeats this in in the companion epistle, Colossians, probably wrote at the same time, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ... The word of God richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And I I like Colossians 3.16 because I I really think it it serves as a theology of singing. What is supposed to happen? What what, what should be happening when we sing? It's just an opportunity for the Word of God to be richly dwelling within us as we meditate on the Scriptures. We're being taught. We're being admonished through the psalms and hymns and, and, and spiritual songs that we're singing. And I think every church where the priority is put upon the Word, the Word of God, there will always be this teaching, this admonishing, this, this, this passionate worshiping and singing of the Lord. And so we see here, I think, the connection between the Word of God, the, the ministry of the Word, and the ministry of music that we talked about. There's a connection between preaching and singing, and, and really singing is preaching in disguise. Songs are sermons in disguise. It's really singing is another way to teach the word of God. It's as, obviously as long as the lyrics of the songs are consistent with what the Bible teaches and, and that's the number one criteria, right, for how we choose songs here. It's not that, you know, you can play it with an organ or you can play it with electric guitar. That's not the point. The point is, are the words biblical? Can we truly say that the word of Christ is richly dwelling within us when we're, when we're, when we're, when we're singing those songs? And I, I thought about this this morning as I'm down there. You know, Blake and I don't sit down and, and, and talk through every song based on the sermon or the prayer or the scripture reading. We just, he puts his part together, I put my part together, and we just put it down. And, and how often is it not true on, on a Sunday morning in particular? It all fits. Like, whoa, that prayer was like perfect for that song, and that song was perfect for that message, and that message was perfect for that scripture reading, and right, it all came together. Why? Because it's all based on the word. And so if you're praying the word, and you're singing the word, and you're preaching the word, it all sounds the same, right? It all fits together the way God intended it. And I think we need to understand that whenever the Holy Spirit has, has moved powerfully through his word, throughout the history of the church, there's always been a revival of great music. And during the Reformation, Luther brought hymn singing back to the church. They weren't singing. And so he introduced singing back into the church. And during the Wesleyan revival, Charles Wesley, we know, wrote some 6,000 hymns. And that we we're familiar probably more in our generation, the, the event, evangelistic rallies with D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey, right? They were a, a dynamic duo, uh, preaching and singing together. We've seen Billy Graham and George Beverly Shea, right? How God used those men together. We, we, some of you uh, hippie folks, right? The Jesus movement people here. Uh, you're of that generation, the 60s and 70s. You remember all the Maranatha praise music, right? That came out of that, that, that Jesus movement, and today we're seeing a modern resurgence of Calvinism. We're seeing this, this gospel coalition and this emphasis on the gospel, and, and it's stimulating many reformed gospel-centered songs. 
The Sovereign Grace songs we sing, the, 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 the Getty songs we sing, right? Even some of the Hillsongs songs that we sing, these, these modern songs that are more Reformed and Gospel-centered. And, and that's just the way it should be. That the Word and, and, and singing go together. And, and notice one more thing, just as we wrap things up here, how Paul emphasizes in both Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16, he emphasizes the hearts. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Making melody with your heart to the Lord. In other words, our singing has nothing to do with our voices. It has everything to do with our what? Hearts. It's not about bands. It's not about choirs. It's not about organs or electric guitars or, or hymns or praise songs. That's not what worship is about. It's about what's going on in our heart. And spirit-filled, Bible-saturated people sing with all their heart. They could never be accused of what Jesus accused the Pharisees of when he said, you hypocrites, you worship me, right? You honor me with your, what, lips, but your heart is far from me. We could never be accused of that. Why? Because the things that proceed out of the mouth come from where? The heart. And so whatever's in our hearts will come out of our mouths. How we sing is a reflection of what's in our hearts. And so if our singing is lame, right, evaluate your singing. Evaluate our singing. If our singing's lame, it's evidence that we either don't have a song in our heart, we're not saved, or we lack the joy of our salvation. Which one is it? I mean, if you can mindlessly mumble through songs like, joyful, joyful, we adore you, Something's wrong, right? Or when I survey the wondrous cross, and as we're meditating and contemplating the, the cross and what it means for us as believers, you're doing this. That your watch can draw you away from the cross, right? I mean, what's wrong with that? See, when a person's heart is, is grateful for all that God has done for them in Christ, and we're genuinely glad about the gospel, we will sing passionately, we will sing joyfully, and we will sing loudly. And I said it already, not all of us can sing well, but we can all sing with all our heart, which is a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, we've got a, an awesome opportunity to apply this message every time we're together, but particularly coming up on August 25th, this Lakeside Live event that we've been talking about, which, by the way, is not about how great a singer you are, but how great a Savior Jesus is. That's what this is about. This is not calling all the great singers in Lakeside Bible Church, come out and sing and help us make a recording. No, this is all of you who have a great Savior and you want to sing to him. You come. And if we don't like how it sounds, we'll edit you out. No, just kidding. <laughs> Joking. But it's in, it's, listen, it's an opportunity to show how glad you are for the gospel. I get a, there's an opportunity for me to sing about the gospel. I'm there. I'm there. And I don't care what the person next to me thinks of my voice. I, I could care less because I love Christ. It's not about making a recording, but it's about growing and maturing in Christ as we allow his word to richly dwell within us. In other words, it's, it's an opportunity, again, to come together to be better trained and equipped to live well, to suffer well, and to die well. And we're going to be singing a lot of songs that are disguised, or a lot of, we're going to be singing a lot of sermons disguised as songs. Right? That's what we do when we get together. 
And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel and how great it truly is. Forgive us that sometimes our lack of gladness for the gospel betrays its greatness. So we ask you this morning that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, cause our mouths to joyfully sing praise to your great name, and I pray that we would accurately represent the greatness of the gospel through our gladness for it, Lord, to a lost and dying world who desperately needs to experience its transforming power. And so use us, Father, towards that end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.